Hey, and welcome to Rich in Relationship. We're gonna do a piece today on how to raise a happy and successful family. And of course, this assumes you have a family, meaning you have children. Look, so we're going through like a major world change here. You probably noticed, right? Like the pandemic is coming to an end, fingers crossed. And we're launching into a new life and nobody, it's happening around the world kind of at the same time. And we, nobody really knows how this is gonna shake out, which is scary for families. And the truth is that the concept of family itself seems to have changed over time. I mean, 40% of children in the world are born to unwed parents. So it's not that nuclear family that used to be so popular. Families are diverse, they're spread out. They're, some people have more than two parents. Some people have four parents. Some people have other elders who are raising them. Some people are being raised by grants. Some people are being raised in foster homes, whatever. So the question is, how do you have a happy and successful family? Now, science has been studying this, believe it or not. And what they found out is that even though, you know, we have this highly technological world with all these new pressures and different kinds of families, the things that worked 100 years ago are the things that work today. So this may sound like a bit of a yawn from that point of view, except that some of this stuff is no longer being recalled. So we're gonna go over five proven principles that are guaranteed to build the systems of your family and ensure that your children feel safe and cared for. It's gonna ensure that they learn values and principles that they succeed in life. But it's gonna require, it's not just uh, if you put the round peg in the round hole, success kind of thing, you may have to shape the peg a little to get it to fit through the hole. And you'll understand what I mean by that as I go through this. So the top five principles are creating positive family relationships. And we all know what positive means creating family rituals, having a family meal routine, having open family communication, and sharing family stories. And embracing these five principles will help combat the problems we're seeing with the intrusion of technology in our families and even combat the after effects of the pandemic. So let's talk first about positive relationships. We all know what negative relationships are, I hope. Negative relationships are abusive in some way. The obvious cases of a negative relationship is a physically abusive one where there's beatings. I'm not talking about the debate about whether you should spank your child or not. I'm talking about just violence where you're doing violence to one another or to the child, or maybe things are being thrown around the house and, and broken and things feel scary as a result. This kind of environment is absolutely negative. On the next level, we've got emotional violence, which is where we are angry all the time. Maybe we're not throwing things, but it still feels scary. Positive is gonna be on the other end of the spectrum. And this doesn't mean, by the way, that we're not allowed to get angry. It doesn't mean that those things, that we can't have those moments of anger. It's about how we manage them. We build positive relationships by taking our anger away from the children. We don't have those angry moments in front of the children. We have them somewhere else. When we express anger to our children, we express it in a responsible way, something like this. Tommy, I feel angry when you leave your toys on the floor because sometimes I step on them and it hurts. That's a lot different than, oh, my foot, how could you leave that there? 
you're such a ba 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 ba. Totally different experience. So we want to model positive traits here. I've got a furry child here who wants to be pet. We want to model positive traits. This is not a good time, furry child. Uh, we do this by making sure that our behavior is rock solid. But we, and in order to do that, he's actually pushing me away from the camera. This child needs to be punished. No, he just needs to be set aside. The traits that we want to model are consistency, first of all. Children demand, require, need consistency. Inconsistency is very scary for children. We want to be consistently patient. We want to be patient to the point where even when we feel like the rubber band is about to break, we are ready to stretch it just a little further. We might say to a child at that point, I'm really stressed out. I need to take a minute. Could you just go to your room for a second? Like that would be exercising patience. That would be the equivalent of when you're weightlifting, you get to that last rep and you're really pushing hard. And when you get to that last rep, you are building more muscle. So when you exercise patience, when you least feel patient, that is when you're strengthening and growing your patience. You also wanna be consistent in terms of showing up for them. You wanna show up at their school once or twice a year, read for them, be there for their special events. Maybe you wanna get involved with activities as a coach or in another supporting role. Maybe you wanna keep an eye on and help them with their schoolwork, but you wanna do these things consistently. It's really easy to be consistently involved with your work or consistently away from the house. Children don't want that kind of consistency, even though that does give them a message. That leads into the next area, which is you want to be present. You'd want to be present for them physically. You also want to be present for them emotionally. If you're with them and you're reading the paper and not giving them attention, you're not present emotionally. If you're having a conversation with them and your mind is running down a checklist at work and you're going, uh-huh, 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 you're not present with them emotionally. To be present with them emotionally, you need to have your stuff managed so that you can really be there for them. And when you're present for them, maybe you're going to go on a walk together and let them choose the path. Maybe they're gonna decide they wanna to go to the candy store and you're gonna let them lead the way. And maybe they even take a wrong turn and you just, watch until they realize that they're lost. And you say, would you like some help? I got an idea of what we might do. And maybe you explain to them where they made the wrong turn, or maybe it's an opportunity to teach them about if you make a wrong turn, it's not a disaster. You can go the longer way around instead of backtracking. There's a lot of opportunity when you allow them to lead and you're present for them and allow them to make mistakes because in mistakes, there's discovery in mistakes they learn how to take risks. When they're taking the lead with you, they're taking safe risks because you're present, as opposed to going off and doing kind of wild and crazy things on their own. It's a way to show your love. This is the next part of positive relationships. You're gonna show your love through encouragement. You can never encourage a child too much. I want you to get this. Children crave reinforcement and acknowledgement from their parents. They crave it. Give them a loving nickname touch them on the head or the shoulder when they do something well. Share an inside joke with them. Maybe they made that wrong turn and you got an, next time you go out for a walk, you make a little joke about it in a way that's loving uh, and points out to how they, what they learned from it. Be careful about those inside jokes. 
If it's at their expense, it starts to stop being encouragement. If it's at your expense, it might be an encouragement. It might be something like this. Oh, here we go. You remember where we where I where I made that wrong turn with you? Boy, let's not do that again. You know, that might be a way to remind them and reinforce it. The next piece in positive relationships is to remember to to teach them to do as you act. And actually that's kind of a joke because they will do as you act. Remember that words that come out of your mouth are 10% of what they're gonna absorb. What they're really gonna be paying attention to is what's the tone of the words? What's your body language? What happens when you relate to people from other communities, other cultures? How does your body language change? How does your tone change? These are the, going to be the things that they watch and they watch it unconsciously. It's not like they're sitting there saying, oh boy, now I have an opportunity to see mom and if mom or dad really live what they say, they absorb this all on an unconscious level. And we're gonna talk more about how to uncover that unconscious level. But the important thing is to remember that your actions always will speak louder than words. Okay, that was a long one. Next one is family rituals. Again, children feel safe with regularity and consistency. Creating family rituals gives them a sense of regularity and consistency. So what is a family ritual? A family ritual is not, we're gonna lock you out of the house if you come home late from school. That might be a family ritual, but it's not, that's not super positive relationship. A family ritual might be, we always have tea time together as a family. Uh, in England, they have a, I remember visiting my English family and loving it when we had tea time together. And you never knew what was gonna, you always knew there was gonna be tea, but you never knew what you were gonna have with tea. And it was, we all were, would talk and we'd usually be coming back from working outdoors and it was a chance to relate to each other. And there was such pleasure in that moment. It might be that every year after Thanksgiving, we play football or we play soccer and that teaches a value. It teaches them, first of all, that if you eat a lot of food, you need to get out and move, right? Calories in, calories out. It teaches them the value of friendly competition, of family teamwork. Or it might be that you're gonna have movie night uh, once a month, once a week, where you're gonna watch a movie and talk about the content together. Or maybe you have novel night, or maybe you have game night. Anything you can do that's gonna be regular, pull you together as a family, is gonna build strength and teach values. And one of the strongest rituals you can have is a meal routine that you eat at a regular time, that you eat together at regular times. It might be a Sunday breakfast or brunch. It might be that three nights a week you eat together as a family, no matter what. That mom has got to get back from home in time to eat, no matter what, by 7 p.m. because you eat together as a family, no excuses. Or maybe that's a once a week thing, or maybe it only happens on weekends, whatever it is. But get that, meal routines are what teach lessons about manners, about healthy eating and communication. And not only that, but studies show that families who eat together regularly have more successful children. So we're defining successful here as they get higher grades. They are more social. 
because they, at the dinner table, they learn social skills. They are less likely to experiment with alcohol or smoking at an early age. They're applying themselves more to things. They are having regular conversation with their parents. And so they're more open about what's going on in their lives. They're less likely to do things in secret. This is what builds successful, happy children is having this kind of experience. And it's, again, it's scientifically valid validated that regular meal routines together build stronger, more successful families. Start out with this if you're not already doing it, maybe once a week and make sure that there are no screens at the table, no phones, no screens, no nothing. Enough said. Meal routines are gonna give you the opportunity for open communication. So we already talked about how we communicate things in different ways and through body language and tone. Make your children aware of this. So point out to them, my child is barking, point out to them that when we cross our arms, that says one thing. When we turn away, that says another. When our hands are open, that says something else. Point out to them that tone is everything, that when we talk in an angry way, it communicates something. Or when we're a little shy, it, it communicates something else. Make them aware of the things they're already observing. They're observing this stuff unconsciously and, it, and they're gathering it unconsciously by making them aware of it. It's like making people aware of television commercials. When TV first had commercials, people just absorbed them and were very influenced by them. Then people learned that commercials were put in there to manipulate them and they started to push them away and take them with a grain of salt. Once you have the awareness that something is influencing you, you can decide whether you're gonna receive it or not. So by teaching your children about the different kinds of communications, you give them the power to decide what they're gonna receive from other people. Also, you wanna teach children about different aspects of communication at different ages. So when children are very young, you're gonna encourage them to learn about their own feelings first. You're gonna encourage them to speak about their own feelings first. How was it at school today? <sighs> All right, what was the best thing that happened to you today? And maybe they're gonna crack open or what was something that really awful that happened today? If they're not talking to you about these things when they come back from school because they're tired of hearing about it, you might wanna try talking to them about it while you make dinner together or at dinner or maybe when you're driving somewhere because sometimes that head-on confrontation can be a little difficult for them. But at younger ages, it should be easier and they should be pretty willing to talk about it. So ask them to tell you a story about their day. And also when you're reading them stories, and if you don't do this, you might wanna start reading them stories. This is a great activity. When you're reading them stories, pause and ask them, what do they think the, ca the characters are feeling? Like, well, what do you think the big bad wolf was feeling when he knocked on grandma's door? And they'll say, well, he was very hungry or maybe they have some other feeling he comes up with. The point is not that it's obvious. The point is to have them think about what are other people feeling? What are other people thinking? Bring it to their awareness. The more aware they are of it, the more they can decide how they're gonna handle and receive things. And as they start to think about what other people might be feeling, they're developing 
the quality of empathy. It starts, it begins to stop being all about them and starts to be about other people, which is actually a developmental threshold. When you start to have that ability, you're really moving into becoming an older child or a more mature child. All right, so those mature children, let's talk about them. They've gotten the feelings lesson. Hopefully you've done a bang up job of making them aware of their feelings, making them aware of the big bad wolf's feelings and everyone else's. You've built trust and respect with them through that. And you're gonna to continue to build that because you're gonna teach them the tools they need to create their own sense of self in the world. This sense of self is gonna guide them as they move to adulthood, right? When we become, as we become adults, we tend to have our own internal guides more, we hope, and our own values more, and we make our own decisions. So these are conversations are gonna be not just about empathy and understanding the feelings of others, but also how to manage those feelings when they come at you. How to disagree without going to war, for example. Can you agree without getting emotionally invested? Or how to, maybe it's how to help someone when they're really feeling down, depending on what your values are. You're gonna be teaching them life skills. So maybe through allowance and a conversation about allowance, a certain amount of money that they get every week, they might get it for chores, they might just get it for being alive, depends on what your values are. You're gonna also give them lessons about financial awareness. What can they do with the money? How does the world work? What does it mean to have no money? What does it mean to save money? What are the values of saving money? Why is that a good thing? What, what might you save money for? Also, you can teach them lessons about maybe time management around homework and playtime. How much game time is appropriate? I was gonna say video time. How much screen time is appropriate? Sometimes homework is done on screens though, so that's why I stopped. How much game time is appropriate and how much homework time is appropriate and how do you balance those things out? How do you decide when you've had too much time alone and you need more time with other people? How do you decide when you've had too much time with other people and you need to be alone? The key is that they feel loved and supported by you. The key, and this is sort of the round peg through the whole thing. You may actually be learning some lessons as you're teaching the lessons. One of my wisest friends once said to me that our children come here as our teachers. And when I was a youth, I thought that was great because I was really teaching my parents some lessons, ones they didn't like a lot of the time. But when we embrace this concept at an early age, what we're getting is if we have a sense of purpose for ourselves and our family, what our places in the world and what the differences we're meant to make or we'd like our family to make in the world, when we have that sense of our place and how we interact with others and we wanna have our values shared with our children and our principles shared with our children, we have the opportunity to really see what their behavior is and their behavior is a mirror for what we're teaching them in a lot of ways. I mean, a blunt example would be if our kids start smoking at age 12 and we're smoking cigarettes and saying, don't smoke. Obviously our behavior is not in alignment with what we're teaching with us. We are the square peg then trying to go through the round hole. So maybe if we want them to not smoke, we need to quit smoking. Maybe if we want them to not act out in anger, we need to stop acting out in anger. Maybe if we want to teach them to teach, to share 
loving feelings with their partner, we need to watch out for those sarcastic biting remarks we might make when we're feeling less than in the presence of our partner, or where we feel like we're not getting our own needs met. There's a lot of learning that, that our children do, but there's even more learning that we get to do when we're raising our children, when we're teaching them to be successful, because we're not just teaching them to be successful, they're teaching us how to be successful through their behavior. And that takes me to the last piece. The last piece here is family stories. So you want your children to know about your family and your family history, no matter how gruesome or amazing it is. It's super important for your children to know about their history because when children know about family history, their history, they are more resilient. Resilience is that ability to bounce back from adversity. So why would knowing your history help you with that? If you know that your family has a history of alcoholism and you're 12 years old and it's been spoken to about you that to you that your family's got this in it and that uncle Mike is in recovery and that uncle Dan is in recovery and that uncle Barney is still drinking his face off and we don't know what's going to happen to him. And you're the kid and you've seen what Mike and Dan and Barney look like. You're going to be super careful about how you experiment with, with alcohol because you know that's a weakness in your family. If you grow up in a family where there's a lot of financial prowess, you're gonna be very confident dealing with money. If you grow up in a family that survived Auschwitz, you're gonna know that your family is tough as nails and can come through almost anything. If you grew up in a family that's coming back from being enslaved and now is in a class of its own, successful, fulfilling their dreams and wants despite what might be systemic racism or classism, then you are gonna know that you can take on any challenge. When you have these, this knowledge of your family history and background, it's a part of you and it builds you up and it encourages you. Or when you have a history of failures, you know what to avoid. So never discount family stories. And family stories don't always have to be serious. They could be stories of uh, what happened when the car broke down on the family trip and what a great time you all had walking to the the diner that was just down the road and with how nice the guy was who towed the car away. It doesn't always have to be sort of serious stuff, but that story about that, that family story about the breakdown on the family trip, that might really have some lessons in it too. Make sure that your children and you are connected with your parents, each other's parents, uncles, aunts, cousins, that family connection, that family glue, it builds everyone up and makes them stronger. All right, so that was, believe it or not, the quick version. If you're looking for more information on this, the Family Success Spring starts in about a week. I don't know when you're listening to this. It runs February 28th, 2021 through March 27th, 2021. It's a four-week symposium of free education for families. The actual price is a $1 donation to uplift homeless children through the Bowery Mission. All the information is at bit.ly forward slash 
success spring. And I say that it's free because if you don't have a dollar, you're welcome to come. But we're encouraging you to give that dollar to uplift those homeless children because no matter how bad your family has it, you can always help someone else. And it probably is a missing principle here that when we uplift others, we are uplifted ourselves, which is why this event is happening. It's being paid forward by experts who are volunteering their time to give you what you need to meet the coming changes as we move out of the pandemic. That's all we have today. I thank you for your time. Go to bit.ly forward slash success spring and learn more.